What a video. What a story. <clears throat> After the last couple of weeks speaking here, I vowed to myself I wouldn't cry this Sunday. Didn't pick a good topic for that. So you hear the story of Brian and Mariah. By the way, Brian is on, on staff at Elevation Church up in Leighton. Um, you hear that story, and you know, we, we hear stories like this periodically. I just actually, just this week, I got an email from a couple that I taught at a Bible school several years back, and they had the exact same thing happen this week. Their son made it for four hours and then was gone. Recently, we, we had to deal with Greg and Kristen's accident and, and her passing. These things happen, they happen without warning, often without preparation. And actually, Mariah mentioned it in the video. You know, they, they happen, they always happen to other people, don't they? I remember growing up and you hear about things happening to other people, accidents and death and disease and other, other disasters in families, but it never really touched me because it was always far away. It was always at a safe distance and it never even occurred to me that, that something could happen to my family, that I might have to go through stuff like that. And then my dad died in a car accident in 2006. First time that hit home without warning Easter of 2008, my cousin, Andrea, she was a couple years older than I am, started having terrible headaches for weeks. It was so bad, she went to multiple doctors and they actually told her in the end, you're imagining this, we, we can't find anything. Eventually, your husband took her to the emergency room and it was too late that they diagnosed it as meningitis. It had already infected her brainstem within hours. She was in a coma, in a wake coma. For eight months. When she woke up from it, she couldn't speak, not eat, not talk, walk. Had to learn everything. To this day, it's, it's getting a little better. To this day, though, she needs 24 hours of care. Completely changed her family and her family's life. And I know that many of you I know that many of you are going through hard times and, you know, the, the tendency is you, you watch a video like this and you hear that story and all of a sudden you think, well, whatever I'm going through isn't so bad. And it's just, this isn't a competition of who's having the hardest time and goes through the most difficult things. Whatever you are going through is difficult and it's okay to acknowledge that. I know that many of you are going through difficult times and there's more to difficult times than, than losing a life or health. There is, there is breakup in marriages. There is, there is economic hardships that many of you are going through. So this, this goes really wide. A lot of you are going through hard times, and then some of you have gone through hard times in the past. But if you don't fit in one of those two categories that you're going through difficult times now or have in the past, you will surely be in a third category and that is you will go through difficult times. You will. It's part of living life. It's part of living on this earth. 
It's a reality of life, and it doesn't matter what background you come from. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are, how successful you've been. It doesn't matter how good-looking you are, how good you're faking that your life is all together. You will. At some point, if you haven't yet or you aren't now, you will face hardships in this life. There will be earthly sufferings. That's for certain. But then there is another reality. There is the reality of of a spiritual life, a spiritual reality that can help help us be prepared for hard times and help us get through hard times. And that's why the series that we're starting today is called Living in Two Worlds. Because again, I mentioned it already, we live in a tangible physical world that so often preoccupies us because it is so tangible. We live in a world that's, that's physical and tangible, but we also live in a spiritual reality that isn't as tangible. And that's why it often takes a second seed to our physical world and our physical needs. And so in these next two months, we'll look at this letter of Second Corinthians and what it has to say about living in this world, but living in it in a spiritual reality and how these two worlds collide and, and interact with each other and how spiritual realities prepare us for and help us deal with earthly realities and earthly sufferings and specifically is what we're going to look at today. So I want to go back to the second Corinthians passage that I already read with you and I want to read it one more time and then take a deeper look at how we can experience divine comfort in the midst of earthly sufferings. Let me read it one more time. Verses 3 through 11. Praise be to the God of and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we're distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Divine comfort in earthly sufferings. And in this passage this morning that we just read, I want to take you into and look at three, I want to call them divine or spiritual encouragements that we can have during times of suffering. And I'm going to go backwards from this in this passage. I'm going to take the, the last one first and work my way back up. The first one we find in verses 8 through 11. We do not want you to be uninformed. Um, he, uh, verse 10, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril. He will deliver us. On him we have set a hope. 
He will continue to deliver us. The first spiritual encouragement that we can find in earthly suffering is that it strengthens our faith, that it strengthens our trust in God. Now, if you're going through a hard time, you'd say, well, that's easy to say. That's easy to say that difficult times strengthen our faith. That's easy for Paul to say. But I want you to know that Paul was not a stranger to suffering in this world. Actually, let's turn to verse 11 in the same letter. He writes to the Corinthians and, and tells them about some of the suffering that he has gone through. It's in chapter 11, verses 24 through 27. He says, five times I have received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. What he's talking about is the 40 lashes minus one was a, a torture or a punishment method that actually Jesus went through leading up to his execution. These 40 lashes with a whip that was where they had worked in glass and rock and bone, it was designed to inflict as much suffering as possible without leading to death. And that's why it was called 40 minus 1. They didn't just say 39 because they believed 40 would lead to death. So they left it one short to leave the person suffering as much as possible. Paul received that five times. In verse 25, he goes on, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and stoning was an execution method. He was actually left for dead and survived. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled, and I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Paul was no stranger to suffering. He knows what he's talking about when he says that suffering will result and lead to a strengthening of our faith. And I don't know if you've ever built anything, if you've ever renovated a home. We did when we moved here. And my experience shows, and past experience with my parents, when they built a home or renovated a home, that often you have to deconstruct something to build something. Isn't that true? Sometimes we have to tear things down before we can rebuild them stronger. And I believe that is true with our faith also. Sometimes our faith needs to be deconstructed before it can be reconstructed. Sometimes false beliefs that we hold on to need to be torn down before they can be replaced with right beliefs. And some of our false beliefs, I believe, when it comes to suffering and hard times that we go through, are some of these. One false belief is, well, God wants my life to be easy. If I follow Him and obey Him and follow Him, the result should be an easy, comfortable life. False belief. That is not what the Bible tells us. Another false belief is, well, God wouldn't, wouldn't allow this to happen to me. God wouldn't, wouldn't allow this to happen to me. Uh, wrong belief. That is not what the Bible tells us. Another wrong belief is, well, God promised me physical safety at all times. Ooh, not right at all. If, if that was true, then how come Jesus... Was, was allowed to suffer and die. How come 11 of Jesus' disciples were, were executed for their faith? God never promises physical safety. So sometimes our wrong beliefs get in the way of a right response in suffering. Another thing I believe about st- 
difficult times and suffering that we go to, it will always bring to the surface what we truly believe about God. See, if, if difficult circumstances drive you away from God and, and bring doubts and questions about, about his character, then I'm convinced that those come to the surface because they've always been there. We've just had the discipline and strength to, to suppress them and not allow them to surface. But one thing that difficult times will do is they will weaken your defenses. It will weaken your strength and your discipline, and it will allow to come what you truly believe to the surface. Now, that is not all bad. See, doubts and questions and questioning your faith and, and even God is not a, a negative thing if we truly pursue answers to those. And I think that hard times in our life, sometimes they are what it takes for us to really acknowledge the doubts and questions that we have, allow them to come to the surface, and then allows us to truly pursue answers to them. And so I want to encourage you, if you're going through a hard time and this is happening to you, where you start questioning what you believed about God and about His goodness and His sovereignty in your life, allow those questions, but pursue answers to them. Don't just dismiss them and push them aside. Only then can your faith be, once it's deconstructed, can be reconstructed stronger. And it's... Because of, if you're not going through a hard time, it's really important that you address those now. It is a lot easier to really determine what you believe about God in times of calm and then rely on it in times of suffering. One way that Paul talks about here in, in 2 Corinthians 1, that our faith is strengthened, we find in verse 9. He says, don't rely on ourselves, we not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. See, we learn to rely on God. And this is a really difficult one for me, and maybe for many of you. I, I'm a really self-reliant guy. I like to find answers and fix things, fix situations. And, and I still often think that I know best. I still often think, oh, I know how to do this. I know how to fix this. All right, God, you just wait. I, I, I got this. I got this. Often it takes us coming really to the end of our rope to really be willing to start to rely on him. And that's what he wants from us. He wants complete reliance on him. But because of our human nature, it sometimes takes us coming to the end of our rope to really be freed up to say, okay, I can't anymore, God. All right, all right, you take over. And in those situations is when we, when we experience him intervening, when we experience him bringing us through is where we learn to really let go of control and rely on him. Paul describes this also later in this letter of what that looks like in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. He uh, writes in verses 9 and 10, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
See, what he's saying is when we come to the end of our rope, when we can't go on anymore, that's when God can do what only he can do for us and in our lives. And that's why he says he rejoices in his weakness because it brings in God's strength. And oftentimes in our lives, because we're hard-headed, it takes difficult, difficult circumstances that bring us to the end of our rope for us to be willing to really let go and, and rely on God. It says here, not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You see, if he raises the dead, then he can surely handle our earthly sufferings. Then he can surely handle the situations that seem hopeless to you. Because can you think of anything more hopeless than death? And he overcame that. We celebrated that last week. If he can overcome death, he can overcome whatever you are going through or whatever you will be going through. If we rely on him. Another way that our faith is strengthened. Paul mentions in verse 10. He says in him. In God we set our hope. In God we set our hope. See he is our hope. When you and I are at the end of our rope. He is our hope. And we have hope in him. Because he has the strength. That we don't have. Isaiah 40 describes that beautifully, and I believe we have that up on the screen for Isaiah 40, verses 29 through 31, describes this. He says, He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youth grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk. And not be faint. See, if we put our hope in him, then he gives us his strength to the point where it's described like soaring like an eagle on his wings. If we put our hope in him. Another part of of that hope that we have in him that helps us in dealing with earthly struggles is that, that we realize that there is more to our existence than this life. At some point, our struggles here are are described in the Bible as, as short and momentary troubles. In light of the eternity that we have with Him, what we're going through here, as hard as it might be, and I don't want to minimize it, but if we have our hope set on eternity with Him, it sets everything here in perspective. So our hope is in Him, our hope in His strength, and our hope in eternity with him. The third way that our strength, our faith is strengthened is in verse 11 in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and that is answers to prayer that he describes here. As you help us by your prayer, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answers to the prayers of many. Now again, just like giving up control, isn't it true? I know it's in my life. It's true in my life, and I'm sure it's true in many of your lives, that it takes these hard times and a point of almost desperation to really drive us on our knees and drive us to prayer. Beyond our good morning, Jesus, thanks for this new day, and our list of requests. Isn't it true that really difficult times are what really drive us to God with our gut, where we really pour out our heart and and wrestle with Him. 
See, sometimes it takes that to get us there. The good thing about that is that if we get there, it also allows us to experiencing God answering and intervening as a result of our prayers and, and others that are praying for us. There's nothing like experiencing supernatural answers to prayers. And it happens. And God wants to do it in your life. I remember after my father died, we got letters, literally, and emails from all over the world, from people we didn't even know, but who had heard from a friend of a friend of a friend of what had happened. And, and we got letters and emails telling us, hey, we've heard about this, and we don't know you, but we're praying for you. We just want you to know that we're praying. And I can't tell you how much we sensed the prayers of hundreds, if not thousands of people on our behalf for strength and for hope in that situation. My mom actually, during those first few weeks, sometime in the hospital, she described it like this passage in Isaiah. She says, Christian, I don't know how this is happening, but I feel like I'm soaring on eagle's wings in a situation that I didn't think I could survive. That's the answer of prayer. Suffering will strengthen and rebuild our faith and deepen our trust of God because it's in those times when we often can most experience Him and experiencing Him intervening in our lives. The second spiritual encouragement in suffering we find in, in the end of verse 4 through 7. He says, So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we're distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so you also share in our comfort. See, one potential pitfall in, in going through, through suffering and having a hard time is that we often become extremely self-centered and self-focused. All we see is our situation and how bad it is for us and, and how we can get out of it and we totally lose sight of the world around us and the people around us. But a major part and blessing of going through suffering is that it should open our eyes for others around us that are going through suffering, that are having a hard time, to empathize with them and to enable us to become an encouragement to them. At one point, when I was 11 years old, we moved um, from one part of Germany where we lived in a, in a small town where I was basically related to, to the whole town. Kokoscheid is an unusual name here. Well, half that town was Kokoscheid. Can you imagine that? <laughs> anyway... Half the town. And we, my parents moved away. My dad took another job. And we moved away, literally, from living around the corner from our grandparents, uncles, cousins, second cousins, third cousins, fourth cousins, church, the church that we had grown up and known. And we moved away about six hours away, which for Germany is huge. That's like the other side of the country. That's like super far away. And people don't move as much as here. We were completely alone, dropped in a little village that was entirely Catholic. And we were not. We were ostracized and isolated it was horrible, horrible experience. And my mom slipped into a very deep depression very suddenly. Now, it's a long story. She, she snapped out of that very suddenly also after a few months. But I tell you, the hardship during that time was awful. 
But what it did for my mother was that it enabled her to have a ministry, especially to other women during the rest of her life who suffered from depression. And the way that she could minister to them and encourage them and comfort them as somebody who had been in that valley was invaluable. Now, would she have chosen to get, go through that? I'm sure she wouldn't have. But the door set it opened for her to minister and serve and comfort countless other women was unbelievable. After my father died, and I think I've shared this here before, after my father died, the major thing, I just felt so alone. I didn't feel anybody understood what I was going through. My father and I were really close. I had worked with him for three years, and it was the hardest time of my life. And I remember within a few days of my father dying, an old friend of mine that I had grown up with, that I had gone to school with, his name was Dan. I came home one afternoon back to the house, and there was Dan sitting outside the, the door. He had driven 600 kilometers, about five, six hours of driving to be there. He had lost his father to cancer six months earlier. I'm not going to cry today. He had lost his father six months earlier. And for the first time in those first few weeks, the second I saw him sit there, I had this sense of comfort just by knowing he knows exactly what I'm going through. He didn't have to say a word. Just the fact that he'd made the trip knowing what I was going through because he had gone through it. And just spending a few days with me was of such comfort to me and encouragement. I can't even tell you. That was possible because he had gone through it. He had gone through it. Maybe that's why you're going through, through what you're going through. Maybe that's why you had to go through, through what you had to go through in the past. Maybe that's why suffering is in your future. So that you can comfort others out of the comfort you receive. There's an interesting story in John chapter 9. Where there's an encounter. Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem. They're coming to the temple and there's a man there who has suffered all his life. He's been blind from birth. And trust me, that culture back then wasn't very handicap friendly. A blind man was really destined to be a beggar the rest of his life. The question that the disciples asked Jesus was this. What did he do to deserve this? What did he do that he's punished like that? So the, the natural connotation was, the natural consequence, well, he's suffering. He or his parents must have done something to deserve that. And Jesus said, oh, boys, you got it all wrong. You got it all wrong. This is in his life so that God's glory can be displayed in him. And he healed him and God's glory was displayed in his power. See, what Jesus is teaching the disciples here is, what did he do? It's the wrong question. Whenever you encounter somebody that's suffering, well, what did he do? It's not the right question. You know what the right question is? What can I do to relieve that suffering? That should be our focus when we encounter people suffering. Not what did he do, but what can I do? And this is what I'm going to bring it back around. If you have gone through things, it will automatically lead you to ask the question, what can I do when you encounter somebody who's going through the same thing? Because you've been there, you've done that, you've walked in those shoes, you know what it took, you know what you needed, and you know what that person needs, and you have it. 
I read a book in preparation for today by an author called Henry Nguyen. And he calls this the concept of the wounded healer. Isn't that great? The wounded healer? Is that why you and I, why we are suffering at times? So that those wounds can heal. Yeah, they leave scars. They leave scars. Some things we go through leave scars for the rest of my life, for the rest of your life. I will not have my father for the rest of my life. My children don't know him. That's a scar. But it's been healed to a point. And the fact that I've been wounded in that way helps me to be a wounded healer to somebody else who has that same wound. Seeing our scars comfort those that still have the open wound. Do you know who was the ultimate wounded healer? It was Jesus. In Isaiah 53 Verse 3, it actually says, through his stripes we were healed. Because he suffered, we are healed spiritually back into a relationship with God. And because you and I suffer, we can bring healing to people who are suffering in the same way. See, that was my mom's message to women in depression. Her message was, you know, I know you can't see it now. I know you can't imagine it. But I've been there and I know there is light at the end of that awfully dark tunnel you're in. I know there is. And that was comfort. That was Dan's message to me when he came to see me after my father's death. Even without saying it, just by his presence, he told me, Christian, life goes on. And the pain will subside. And there is life beyond this. And that was great encouragement to me. Your wounds can bring healing to others. That's what Paul is saying here in this, in this chapter. Your wounds can and will bring healing to others. So our faith will be strengthened and we can comfort others. Before we go into the last point, I want you to watch the second part of the video with Brian and Mariah because we didn't want to leave it where we ended that off. So why don't you take a look at the video and we'll finish after that. At first I just had to talk to God about everything, everything that was going on. And when everything first started happening, I didn't. And then when I finally did, it was God telling me, I've blessed you with something so beautiful and so rare that not everybody gets to have something like this. Not everybody gets to go through this. And not everybody do I bless with a child like this, but I did you because I knew you needed it, and I knew that you could handle it, and I knew this would be special for you. You know, things like this, I really believe it does one of two. It can do one of two things. It can, uh, it can separate you from God and from your marriage, or it can bring you closer. And uh, that's one of the first blessings he gave us, um, is he brought us closer I mean, with your walk with God, I always feel it's kind of, there's the up and downs. But uh, going through this, your, my up was a lot different than any other up. I mean, the, the connection and the closeness and the, uh, the faith you had to have in Him, I mean, it just, my, it just skyrocketed at that time. Um, and it was just huge, and it brought us closer together um, because it's something special that we've 
went through it. It was a tough time for us, but we went through it together, and we really had to rely on each other, and uh, we did that. And uh, I really think that was one of the one things that God um, used this situation for, for sure. Well, we met another couple, and they're from Florida. They had come out to visit Elevation for a little while just to hang out with us. And we had found out that um, they had twin babies and that one of their babies had had, or the twin that was here, had had some complications. And then later on I found out that the reason why their other twin wasn't here was because um, he had passed away from trisomy 18 also. And I just got to enjoy them and talk to them about everything God had given us and how great things were and how God had blessed us with a trisomy baby and that it wasn't a burden and that it was a blessing and it was something God had given us that was special and just got to talk about Kenneth with them. And to us, Kenneth is, uh, I mean, he's in heaven and he's with Jesus. And so to us, he's great, you know, he's whole and he's not sick and he's there's nothing wrong with him right now and so we just got to share that with them and I didn't know it at the time but later on I had found out that it touched them more than I had ever even known it would have that they um, weren't to that point where they could get through a lot of things like that and that they were having a really hard time with it and that our story with Kenneth just blessed them to see it in a different way. Two years later we uh, were blessed with Boston um, there's still those nervous, nerves of, okay, what's, what's this child going to bring to us? And, um, scary. And uh, first thing, um, when baby Boston was born, he, uh, he was struggling breathing. And uh, I'll tell you what, we were, we were a little nervous, but they took him back, um, spent some time in the NICU. Um, but he has, he's been such a blessing to us ever since. continued story of Ryan and Mariah and their family. What a great example of how this trial brought them closer to God and strengthened their faith. Like Brian said, it brought his relationship with God to, to whole new heights. And then how it allowed them to be a comfort to others in that same situation, how to be wounded healers. And I hope that's an encouragement to you. But I want to come to the, the last point of encouragement in times of suffering, which I think is, is the most profound and the most important, and we find it in verses 3 and 4 of this first chapter in Second Corinthians, where Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. See, God is a God of comfort. And God wants to be your so source of comfort in whatever you are going through. And I know, I know from experience that, that the natural tendency during difficult times, during suffering, is to accuse God, to shake our fist at Him and to accuse Him and blame Him. 
And we don't have time this morning to go into the depth of, of that whole topic of, of God's suffering and why God allows it. If you weren't here in the fall, I actually gave a message on that in September. And you can look it up on YouTube on our website. It was called um, Questioning God. God, are you really good? Seriously, are you really good? So maybe you can go there to start, begin and get some answers. We don't really have time to go into all this. But one point I made in that message is that the truth about suffering and hardship and heartache is, is that the vast majority, over 95% of all human suffering is due to individuals or people whether you yourself or somebody else, making bad, ungodly choices that lead to consequences that you and I have to live with. And oftentimes we have to live and suffer through the consequences of other people's choices. That is truth. Hardship is often the result of choice. And God will allow natural consequences of people's choices to affect our lives. That's part again, part of living in this world. But the other truth, and that is so encouraging to me, is that, that God wants to be your and my comfort. He's longing. He's longing for you to allow him into that place of hurt, into that wound, and to be the one that comforts you, holds you, and cares for you in the midst of it. The problem is that so often we don't allow it. We don't allow it because of pride. We don't allow it because of bitterness. We don't allow it because we're throwing pity parties. And God will not force himself on us, but he is longing to comfort you, to hold you, and to heal you. And he's waiting for you to allow that if we're not too busy blaming him. And you know, I... I see this play out in my family's life all the time. I have two older boys and then we have little Kobe now. But my two older boys, Casey and Kenny, they're 11 and 9. They're dangerous <laughs> to be around. Actually, it's dangerous for them to be around each other. Um, they were actually, I don't even know if I should tell you this. I hope there's no law enforcement in here. But they were playing with airsoft guns this week and patting themselves so they could shoot each other. And Casey shot out one of his brother's teeth. <laughs> it just shattered and, and so, so I wasn't home, but this is what I would have said, like I say a thousand times to them. I say, Casey Kenny, if you continue doing this, whatever that is, it will lead to this and this. I say, Casey Kenny, you do this, within the next 10 minutes, you will come crying to me because you got hurt. It will happen. Ah, yeah, whatever, Dad. No, nah, no, nah, we know what we're doing. Ah, okay. I could tell him, no, you're not doing this. End of it. Give me that skateboard. <laughs> Give me that airsoft gun. Give me all that dangerous stuff. But they wouldn't learn. They wouldn't learn. So I let them do stuff sometimes. <laughs> and sure enough, 10 minutes later, they come to me and say, Dad, you're horrible. Why didn't you stop us? Why didn't you take this stuff? Look at us now. We're hurt. What's wrong with you? You're evil. And I say, well, boys, I told you. What do you want me to do? I told you. I knew this was going I'm not God, but I have experience. <laughs> I knew this was going to happen. Why didn't you listen? But you know what? Now, come here. Sit down. And I love just holding them and then putting a Band-Aid on and, and, and comforting them, helping heal. See, this is what God does. His book is full of telling us, guys, I made you. I know what's good and what isn't. Not just am I wise. I'm God, he says, not me. 
You do this, this is going to happen. You do that, this is not good for you. We do it anyways, and then we go and shake our fist at him. And even when we do, he's there waiting for us to come and be comforted by him in the midst of our poor choices or the poor choices of others. See, God's word isn't only full of warnings and directions for what's good for us and what isn't full of guidance. It is also equally full of words of grace and comfort and invitations to come to him and enjoy those. I just want to read one to you that I'm sure a lot of you are very familiar with. And it's Psalm 23, and I'm just going to read verse 4, where the author writes, David writes, I will, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, God didn't promise to prevent the valleys of the shadow of death in your or my life. He never promised to detour us, to U-turn, to, to lead us around that valley, to avoid pain at all costs. Now, sometimes he intervenes out of grace, and he does that, but that's not a promise. But if we're in it, if we're in it, whether it's by our decisions or the decisions of others or things out of our control, if you're in it, he promises to be in it with you and lead you through it and to comfort you through it and to heal you through it. And through that, to lead you and me to a deeper knowledge of Him, to a deeper experience of Him that will lead to a deeper faith and trust in Him. I want to ask the band to come up. I want to finish by telling you a little bit more about the story of my mom after my dad passed away. I talked with her on Skype this week, which is great. We can actually see each other. And for the first time, she told me what I'm going to tell you now. That when, before my father died, she sometimes, you know, she said, I would, I would literally think through, what, what would it do to my faith if the worst imaginable would happen and God would take my husband away? She, said she, she thought through that, through her life, and if that would happen, you know, when she would hear of things like that happen to others. And she always came to the conclusion, yeah, my faith is strong enough. I would hold on to him. It wouldn't shatter my faith. So then she told me this week, in those first few days, especially in the hospital, after it sank in and he was gone, she said she would look at the watch, the clock on the nightstand, and every 10 minutes she would think, I've made it another 10 minutes. I've held on to God. I'm keeping my faith. I've made it another 10 minutes. Yeah, I held on another 10 minutes. And she would say, yes, I'm holding on. I'm holding on to my faith. And all of a sudden, she felt all strength just drain out of her. And the realization came, I, I don't have any more strength. I don't have any strength to hold on to anything. And she said, at that moment, she almost heard an audible voice of God saying, you don't have to. Because I am. I am holding on to you in this. I am carrying you. There it goes. I am carrying you through this. And that is what God wants to tell you. 
that he's there in the midst. And when you have no strength, he does. And he will hold on. And I want to close this by reading Psalm 30 for you. It's not on the screen. I just want to read this to you. This is King David talking about the ups, but especially the lows of his life and God's faithfulness in the midst of this. Maybe just close your eyes and let this sink in. This is God's word. Listen. I will exalt you, O Lord, for you lifted me out of the depth and did not let my enemies gloat over me. O Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. O Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down into the pit. Sing to the Lord, you saints of his. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. O Lord, when when you favored me, you made my mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What gain is there in my destruction, in my going down into the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. See what David experienced here. God's presence in the midst of suffering and God holding on to him is what God wants you to experience. He's never going to let go. He's never going to let go of you.